Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. This is, It's 8.30 on Monday, March 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, more variants of the coronavirus appear in Mississippi as health officials continue vaccination efforts. Then, a leader at the state's only Tier 1 trauma facility reflects on a year of facing the coronavirus pandemic. Plus, a recent economic study reveals a revitalized railway could bring a boost to coastal counties. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. More coronavirus variants are showing up in Mississippi. According to health officials, seven cases of the California variant have been identified. A variant, state health officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says, is 25% more contagious. Also, 26 infections from the UK variant and one case of the South African one have been discovered. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers is monitoring the variants closely. We're, we're watching the California variants um, pretty closely. And, you know, we're re-gearing up our, our epi surveillance to uh, more significantly investigate those identified cases that um, are variants so we can track them back and identify if there's been some further transmission, what was their exposure history, make sure that they're appropriately isolated, make sure that uh, the contacts are quarantined as necessary. And so uh, I think this is going to be the next big push for us from from a case and contact investigation standpoint. Um, and, and, you know, we're gearing up for that and, and getting our staff mobilized to be able to, uh, to engage in those investigations. For Dr. Dobbs, variant strains of the coronavirus are currently the most important factor in getting back to normal. He's urging people to get vaccinated to slow the ability for variants to form and spread. A lot of times we get questions about, you know, when can we get back to normal? I mean, obviously, we're a lot closer to normal than we have been. I mean, I think we'll all acknowledge that. But, you know, when can we not worry about COVID, right? And I think the real wild card in that is what happens with the variants. You know, especially with the current variants that we see, 
at least with the with the proportion of them, you know, you, there'd be pretty good hope that the current vaccine is really pretty effective against all of them. Even the even the South African variant, the antibody, I mean, the vaccine seem to be highly protective, although not as not as protective against severe illness and death. So there's still a lot of residual effect um, that we're going to see. One of our listeners uh, had several questions about variants. Um, and one of those was, um, do you anticipate, do you think it reasonably to assume that a variant might arise that would uh, get around our surveillance? In other words, could we have one that gets around our testing? So do we end up with false negative tests and variants? Or is that unlikely? You know, the, the different tests do have different targets. And so it's not like it, it's all one test. So what we've seen with the um, UK variant, it has S dropout. So some of the some of the some of the PCR tests will use multiple targets, and one of is like a certain part of the spike protein, and it'll it'll you'll miss it, and so we call it S dropout. And that's sort of like an early hint it might be a UK variant. Health officials continue to advise residents to get vaccinated. Anyone 16 and over is eligible to receive a vaccine in Mississippi. The vaccines still haven't undergone sufficient trial for younger demographics. Mass vaccination is likely the safest and most efficient path to herd immunity. Dr. Dobbs says it's still too early to know when that could happen and how effective it could be compared to other contagious diseases. It's hard to know. I'm hopeful that within a couple of months, 12 and older kids can get vaccinated, um, and maybe younger kids through the summer. That would be really good. Um, I, I think herd immunity, from the perspective of um, not sort of like being a hard block, is going to be very difficult for coronavirus, just because it's not like measles, because, you know, measles vaccine is like near about 100% effective for your whole life. That's the perfect thing. But, you know, for COVID, our immunity does seem to wane a little bit. Um, and, you know, like in the, in the Danish study, they saw that, that um, after about eight months of natural infection, there was like an 80% protection, but still 20% not protection. And for older folks, it was about 50%. The wider accessibility of vaccines and the lifting of statewide mitigation requirements is building up in time for the Easter holiday. This time last year, former President Donald Trump famously declared churches would be filled for services across the country. That was not the case, and transmission of the virus soared in summer. Dr. Dobbs says Easter could be a little more like normal this year, but still urges precautions. I've been looking at some updated guidelines for that, you know, some of our guidance already exists, is that if you're 65 and older, or if you have one of these medical issues, don't go unless you're vaccinated. So get vaccinated, it's not worth the risk. Um, the other things that I think um, make sense, especially with our lower, our lower sort of population prevalence and the percentage of people who are protected, the outbreak risk is lower. Um, you know, maybe it's okay um, to have congregants wearing a mask and separating about three feet between families. You know, especially, you know, that makes sense. Separating out uh, the choir folks about six feet um, and then, you know, doing Sunday school with Conkey, which school school, right? You know, three to six feet with a mask. So I, I do think that's okay. I know that a lot of people aren't going to wear masks in church because I see it. Um, when, I, when I drive by Sunday morning, drive by churches, 
I see a lot of people walking out of church and there's not a mask on. So that's why I think it's my number one, two, and three priority is vaccinate folks who are 50 and older or medical issues. Coming up, a leader at the state's only Tier 1 trauma facility reflects on a year of facing the coronavirus pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Sorry about that little glitch. The Magnolia State is mourning the 7,000th COVID-19 related death this week. Mississippi surpassed the grim milestone over the weekend. COVID-19 cases and related hospitalizations are down this month after reaching new heights earlier this year. But the mounting death toll serves as a reminder of how consequential the arrival of the coronavirus just over one year ago has been in Mississippi. The University of Mississippi Medical Center, the state's only tier one trauma center, has seen the reverberations of the pandemic up close. Dr. Luann Woodward is vice chancellor at UMMC. In part one of our conversation, Dr. Woodward reflects on a year of battling the coronavirus within the walls of the hospital and throughout the greater Mississippi community. I think most of us involved at this point last year felt like by the fall, everything will be back to normal and, you know, we'll be, we'll be, our, our life will return to normal. We had no idea what 2020 held in store for us, did we? No, we didn't. Now, during the course of the year, what were the biggest challenges faced? You know, at any given point in time, if you ask me that question from week to week as the year went on, I probably would have a different answer depending on the immediate challenge in front of us. Early on, it was just testing. How do we even know who has this? Um, Followed rapidly by treatment and, you know, how do you care for these patients? So there, how is it spread? You know, all of those questions felt very urgent, and they were very urgent early on. So, so the answer to that question would be different depending on when you ask. But at this point, I would say a year out, probably the most challenging thing that persisted was the uncertainty of that endpoint. You know, there was a feeling whether we were dealing with the PPE challenges or, like I mentioned, testing, treatment, clinical trials, everything everything that we've done, even to the point of our own staffing levels and, and just the personnel, there was just that feeling that we were in a marathon and there was no defined endpoint. I think that just was the part that was so hard. You know, people, I think, respond to a challenge and people respond to a rally cry and people want to be part of the solution and they want to help and they they want to, you know, engage and, and, and do everything that 
that you can humanly do, but you do that and 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 you think, when is it going to stop? (laughs) So honestly, I think that was the, that, that, at this point in reflecting on the year, I would say was the overarching challenge that we just struggled with. The outreach of tragedy is extensive. When you think about, we know the tragedy of lives lost and people who were who were terribly sick and who suffer uh, symptoms ongoing as a result. But what was the effect um, or, or number of deaths that could be associated with the pandemic because people wouldn't go into the hospital for health care, for life-saving measures, or, or couldn't get in? There'll be so many answers to questions like that that we'll be studying, I'm sure, for a decade. I do think we will see, because and when I say we, I think as a state and as a nation and as you know the world, I think we will see that there have been delayed diagnoses and things that people put off, care that they put off because of, you know, the fear and the uncertainty of is this COVID, is this not COVID? If it's not COVID, and I feel pretty sure that it's not, maybe I need to wait another month. And then a month turns into two months and two months turns into three months because you know just at a at a at, at one institution level we have certainly seen patients delay care during the year of this pandemic and i'm sure that's happened all around the world so i i think that's one of the negative impacts that we won't be able to quantify for some time but i feel that just based on one organization's experience here at the medical center i think our experience is representative of what everybody is seeing, and that is people are putting off care, treatments, and other things that will have a negative impact that that we don't know what that is right now. We can't quantify what that is, and it will take us some time. I also worry a lot about, you know, thinking about the negative impacts and and that we'll be quantifying for some time is the time lost in school for some of the children. I, I think that's going to be another piece of this puzzle that we'll be studying and analyzing for, for probably a decade, if not longer. In part two of our conversation with Dr. Woodward tomorrow, we look at what we've learned and how to move forward. Coming up, a recent economic study reveals a revitalized railway could bring a boost to coastal counties. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Signs of the massive destruction left by Hurricane Katrina still linger on the Mississippi Gulf Coast nearly 16 years after the storm made landfall in Hancock County. Over the last decade and a half, progress has been made to revitalize the region, beginning with infrastructure and expanding to new tourist attractions. Now the coastal counties are on the verge of renewing a tri-state rail service that could bring in an added economic boost. Amtrak service from New Orleans to Mobile is scheduled to resume in 2022 with four stops along the coast. The passenger railway is expected to generate nearly half a billion dollars in economic impact and create up to 7,000 new tourism jobs. This is according to a recent study by the University of Southern Mississippi in cooperation with the Southern Rail Commission. John Robert Smith is the chair of Transportation for America. He shares more on the study and how the region and the nation could see more more investment in America's railways. The U.S. Congress directed the Federal Railroad Administration to impanel a group called the Gulf Coast Working Group, which was comprised of, again, local leaders across the Gulf, from New Orleans all the way through uh, the Mississippi Gulf, uh, through the panhandle of Florida, uh, deep into Florida, to uh, analyze the value of returning passenger rail service along that line, which was lost due to Katrina. Amtrak has the federal right of access to all and every freight infrastructure in the country. And it is on the, the burden of proof is on the freight as to what is needed for Amtrak to access their right of way and to provide that service. So this analysis was conducted by FRA over 18 months and identified the projects. The best starting uh, route was determined to be just from New Orleans to Mobile. So there was $66 million worth of infrastructure improvements determined to be needed to make the service with two round trips a day, every station getting four trains a day uh, on a seven-day-a-week daily service within a business-friendly time of 8 in the morning to roughly 8 in the evening. And as I said, $66 million of infrastructure needs were determined uh, to be advisable. Is the infrastructure similar from state to state in terms of damage is it a matter of rebuilding or starting afresh is it worse in mississippi because that's where katrina came ashore the railroad has been rebuilt it's not a matter of rebuilding the railroad it's been rebuilt and it's in good shape right now this would be um the reason it's more in mississippi because if you look at traveling from new orleans to mobile most of that time you're in the state of mississippi The greatest part of the infrastructure of the railroad is located in Mississippi. So it only makes sense that where the trains cross, which is on the Mississippi Gulf, is where the greatest amount of infrastructure is needed. This is a matter of adding passing sidings, um, uh, changing out turnouts that allow you to move on and off the sidings uh, more quickly. There will be some grade crossing, a number of grade crossing improvements for safety. A lot of this is, a lot of this infrastructure is to improve safety when you have a 
79 mile per hour passenger train now traveling between the two cities. It also makes freight rail service uh, more predictable. There's also in the report, it talks about um, this as a job generator, that thousands of jobs would be produced with this rail service. Yes. Can you tell us in what fields that would happen? Well, first of all, there are jobs created in the um, construction industries uh, to build out the infrastructure needs that I've outlined in the $66 million worth of infrastructure. But think about the universities that are connected. Think about the whether they're shipbuilders or others in manufacturing along the Gulf that can be connected. Of course, tourism is a huge part of Mississippi. You see what uh, Gulfport has done uh, in building their new aquarium. They want uh, increased visitor traffic there. On one end of, of this card, you have New Orleans, one of the um, most popular tourist destinations in this country, especially for foreign tourists. Um, they have a significant number of foreign tourists every year, and they're not renting cars and driving across the Gulf, but they all come from countries that um, enjoy robust passenger rail service. You give a train that they can board in downtown New Orleans, they'll take an hour and a half trip over to Mississippi. Um, they will eat in the restaurants, they will visit the casinos, they may stay in the hotels, and it's that a mere 5% increase in tourism along the Gulf generates the kind of dollars uh, that I described. For those taking the train, how affordable will this be? Is it oh, something, be very, something that uh, tourists can enjoy? It's very affordable. It's been priced somewhere around $35 for a ticket. Let's think of what you'll spend on board. You see, this this service is will be designed so that you experience the coastal south when you step on the train, not when you merely step off the train. So uh, the Southern Rail Commission wants to uh, concentrate on local foods, local beverages, so that your experience on board the train is equally southern as uh, well as what you obviously experience when you step off at a station in downtown Bay St. Louis. Does Is this project reflective of uh, other rail lines in the country? Is there any relation between what's happening here with what's happening elsewhere in the country? Is there a renewal of rail, passenger rail uh, service? You're seeing this all over the country. Uh, Amtrak itself has come out with a 2035 plan that shows the extension of um, the shorter um, passenger rail lines connecting into the national system and serving uh, parts of the country that are very underserved today. What will it take or what would it take to make passenger rail service globally competitive? Well, it's already globally competitive. It's Where it's not competitive is in our country. Um, if you look at every other well-developed um, country in the world, and, and, and even third-world countries have invested more in passenger rail per capita than the United States has ever thought about investing in passenger rail. What is What it takes to make passenger rail truly viable in this country is an investment. An economy cannot live just by the personal automobile. 
We have to have other ways to be connected. Passenger rail can be that connection between those vibrant, smaller economies that will link you into the airport that can then move you across the country. It's just one more tool for our uh, economies and smaller city economies especially to be vibrant again and connected to the larger economic growth that I think this country is getting ready to experience as we emerge from COVID. Very good. John Robert Smith is the chairman of Transportation for America. Thank you very much for being with us today. Very good. Thank you for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.